The stories of some of the world's greatest women unfold here. I am Annette Comer, your host, and each week, the untold secrets of success, strength, and boldness of today's powerful women are revealed. This woman grew up in a home that was focused on survival. She was taught to not think about others, but to only be concerned with taking care of herself. And as a young woman, she wanted to be an artist and the freedom she thought it would bring. Her pursuit of this after college led her to work in the entertainment industry for major TV networks. And as she moved through life, she began to realize survival wasn't enough and that caring about others was the real juice of life and that she needed money to impact others the way she envisioned. A business was born and she went from a broke mentality to a millionaire investor helping others find their way toward wealth as well. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Tamar Hermes. Tamar, thank you for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. Such a pleasure. Well, we're going to have so much fun today, and we don't have much time, so I'm going to jump right on in because there's a lot I want to cover. So often it is said that money can be the root of all evil, but you have found that money is not only necessary, but can be a wonderful tool. Share how you came to this realization and how money fits into your life these days. Such a good question, because I think a lot of us are plagued by this whole notion that money is bad or money is evil, because depending on how we grow up, we are confused by money, no matter what the definition is. So for me, growing up poor, I had a big challenge because what I saw was that I didn't have and that others had, and I needed to find that path in order to create the life that I wanted, which included resources to have money, to enjoy a lot of the joys of life that we, that we really enjoy. And so I would say for me, it was that age old lesson of consistency and of showing up over and over and believing in what I wanted and really working with money. So part of what I would do is I was always great about saving some money. I never spent everything I had. I found a way to kind of dance with money, to always make money work with me. And I would say in terms of feeling like it's evil, I think it's because we're pushing it away. No, it's bad. It's evil. Money will do bad things to you. But then what I did was I utilized it and I saw the good things and I kind of danced with it. So that I think over time really started to let me enjoy a lot of the things and also helped me expand how much I was willing to have and what it meant to have money, which was a good thing, not a bad thing. And I'm going to dig a little deeper into this because this is an interesting thing that people often deal with. And, And the interesting part comes from the messages that we receive as we're growing up, even in the spiritual sense. You know, for, for me, I'm a Christian. And I can remember growing up, my parents talking about that, you know, the biblical portions that talked about money being the root of all evil. But what they didn't talk about is the money itself wasn't the issue. It was the worship of money. I think that's interesting. I don't know what your messaging was, but I know as I grew into an adult, it took me a while to to be okay with money and to recognize that money is only evil if it's used in the wrong way and not used as the tool for good. Uh, Yeah, that's a beautiful message. And I think it's so true. I think for me, I was just in a cloud of despair over not having and not knowing how to get it. And so again, that survival theme that you mentioned at the beginning was so much of what was controlling me 
And I thought I was going to die if I didn't have money. So for me, money was this essential thing that enabled me to have choice. And I didn't want to be a prisoner in my life. And so I never looked at the, I never even got to that level until much later on where I started to define more of these notions where money is the root of all evil and it's really what you do with money. That was much later on for me. But I love that because I do think that that's very real. And I do think that it's it's a distinction that opens up a whole new world. Yeah, it is. I agree with you 100%. So while we're on money, I want to explore your experience of the importance of money movement. You told me that if you want more money, you have to move it. And when that money is stagnant, it creates less wealth, not more. So I want you to explain what you mean by this. Yeah, it's interesting. This whole notion of money movement has really come into the foreground for me as I have become a more and more sophisticated investor. And what I've noticed, and as I study very successful investors, what I've come to see is that unless we're unless we're willing to take that money and put it into a vehicle that's going to grow the money, it isn't going to move. So if you leave your money in a bank for 0.05%, yeah, it's secure. It's not going to go anywhere. But it actually is decreasing by at least 3% a year with inflation and the way we're going in this country, probably more so. And you aren't having that opportunity of seeing that money as it moves around, as it's being invested, grow and multiply for you. So that's why I really believe in the money movement. And even sometimes the thing about money movement is that it's a little risky because it parallels letting go. And we're not good about letting go. I want to hold on to my cards. I want to know where I am. I want to know that $50,000 is in my bank account, but it's only by releasing that I can make more. And it's the same thing with our, our humanity, our life, with everything, right? When we're hanging on to stuff, it's just, we know where we're at. I don't care if I'm miserable, but I know what misery feels like. So I'm comfortable. But then if you let it go and you're willing to open up to the world, you think, oh, I don't have to be miserable. I like this. It's kind of the same thing with money. It's really interesting, isn't it? It really is. I love that analogy because um, the more uh, driven we are, the more we tend to want to control and hang on to things, don't we? It's hard for us to let go. It is. It is hard to let go. And I think we're all suffering with it at every level because let's face it, there's things we don't know. And the world, if we look at it in a certain way, there there are things that are a little frightening. And so- I think that, yes, I think the more that we have and the more the more we have, the more invested we are in ourselves and the more we step out to say, I'm here, we're on the line a lot more, we're visible. And I think it makes it a lot harder. And I think that's why we work to control it so that we feel that as we're navigating and as we're scaling our success, that we have actually a sense of control over it when we really don't. But that's why we hold our cards. <laughs> Yes, we're really fooling ourselves, aren't we? <laughs> All right, I'm going to go into a, a, a little different direction. You already know that I challenge women to step into their greatness. And I know you help yourself do this by practicing every day who you want to be. So my question to you is, what does this look like for you? And what advice would you give to others about practicing who they want to be? Again, a journey, not something you're not going to think who you want to be and then wake up tomorrow morning and voila. 
it's a commitment, right? It's a commitment to wanting a certain kind of life, to finding yourself, to being visible in the world. And the way that I think the best way to define who you want to be, because that's the first piece, right? It's like, well, where am I going? What do, what am I trying to model is either thinking of people that you admire or characteristics that you admire about them or certain books or phrases that really resonate for you that think, yeah, that's what's inside me. That's what I feel. And then putting it all together and writing down a list of what those things are and studying those and practicing those and meditating on those, and then going out in the world and actually practicing, practicing those. And it's going to feel uncomfortable again, because anything we do that we haven't done before feels uncomfortable. And then over time, after a while, you start to emerge as a different person because you've had all these stepping stones along the way and successes and acknowledgements. And you start to realize that, oh my gosh, I am starting to embody that. And it is a lifelong process. I mean, I wouldn't say that I wake up every morning thinking I am just a hundred percent who I want to be. There's always a next level or something I can do better or something that I can learn. And so I think part of it is nurturing yourself and being your own advocate to being kind in the process and staying committed to knowing that you can get to that place. And that's another big key because I think part of what stunted my growth for a long time was that I didn't believe I could be that person. I didn't think, you know, I look at, you know, oh, Oprah, she's so giving, she's so wonderful. She came from nothing. She grew money. She, you know, you think of all these traits and you think, but how am I going to do that? I'm here. How am I going to get there? And so it feels like this journey that you can't get to. And the only way is to start opening up your mind, even though we say, well, if they can do it, why can't I do it? Why not me? At the same time, the getting that inside, why not me inside, truly inside is a whole other challenge. And that I think is where, where you can break open. I think once you're actually inside your heart, you really embody you know what? I can really be who I want to be, especially if you didn't get those messages as a child. You can start to break open. It's almost like open up that superwoman suit. <laughs> and, and one of the things that you said that I really want to emphasize was two words that you used. And that is in that process, you have to be committed and you have to be patient with yourself. And sometimes we don't do both of those simultaneously, do we? We don't. And I think also for ambitious women, like us and for the for the women watching this we have high expectations we want a great life we want everything that we feel in our hearts to be out in the world and it is a tall order i mean it you know sometimes i i make a joke sometimes and say why don't i just go to pilates every day and drink tea and have lunch with friends and i don't do that i don't do that i want to be of service And that's really what ultimately brings me joy. But I think that's a simple life. I'm not risking anything. I'm not losing anything. It's fun, but it's not getting me the connection. It's not getting me the richness, the, the, uh, the juice, the juice, the juice of life you talked about. Yes. The juice of life, the hot (laughs) fudge and the whipped cream and the cherry on top. Oh yeah. Oh my, that's so yummy. (laughs) All right. So that leads us in perfectly to the next question. You told me you often see women settle too easy. So my question is, how can a woman check herself to see if instead of settling, she needs to stretch to be more? Yeah, that takes a lot of vulnerability because you have to actually be honest with yourself. There's such a big range in terms of, yeah, it's fine. 
yes, it's good. Life is good to wow. Life is wow. And so I think that the thing that's challenging about it is that we want to be grateful for every step. We don't want to think when we're, yeah, it's good. And I'm grateful for this, but I really also want to aspire toward this is I think is making that shift where, yeah, this is really good. And I want to be there. So being excited at both stages, it's not a lack of acceptance in where you're at today. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and and also to recognize that for some women, settling may be okay. I never think it's okay, personally. But I think that we're here for a very short period of time. And there's so much that needs our attention and to be to be done of service to others. But some people settle because it feels easier, but they don't have more joy there. It is easier and there is not more joy there. And I think that you need to ask yourself, like for me, I know that at a certain point when I had a certain, I checked a lot of boxes when I had a, a come to Jesus moment of, oh my gosh, I don't think that I'm really fully living as much as I can or as much as I want. I'm not in the world as big as I want. I'm not the full vision of what I want. I don't have the career that I want, even though I checked all the boxes. So that, I think when you know you're settling is when there's something burning in your soul. It's almost, it's interesting. I don't know why this came for me. I've never made this analogy, but it kind of reminds me. I remember after I, I had my daughter and three years had gone by and my husband and I were back and forth, like, will we have another child? Won't we have another child? And I got that feeling, almost like that settling feeling like, it's okay if I don't. I felt like a soul was inside me. The same thing as maybe that burning soul of yourself that's inside you wanting to come out. And sure enough, we had a beautiful son. So we ended up having another child. So I was right. I wasn't ready to just take that one because it was something inside me that was calling that was there was something else there. And I needed and and it takes courage. It's scary because you don't know what's on the other side. And you can't control what's on the other side. And what's even scarier, tomorrow's about it, is the world and those closest to you may be saying to you, well, you have enough. Why aren't you happy? This is good enough. Just settle. And for so many, they're on that line because they feel that burning. And if they ignore it, there will be a restlessness that will never go away. For me, the way that I also got out of this was I thought to myself, if this was, if you had six months left to live, or if this was maybe your last day of your life, is there something that you would have said, I wish I would have, I could have, if only, those are the questions you want to be asking yourself every day. And at the same time, we can go back to being compassionate and patient with yourself because it's a process. So we have to enjoy where we're at right now because otherwise you're going to be miserable. It's miserable getting there. And the thing is, is that, and Tony Robbins actually talks about this a lot. He says, you know, you think you want a million dollars. I got to get a million dollars. Then, oh my God, my life's going to be so great. Then you get to a million dollars and you think, oh, okay, yeah, I got a million dollars. The longer part of your life is getting to that million dollars. And the excitement of it is that journey to the million dollars. But getting the million dollars isn't really the prize. So that's why it's so important to enjoy that journey as you confront, okay, I know that I'm here right now and I know that there's more. And so I'm going to embrace what I have here and I'm going to do this walk to this other place. 
and I'm going to embrace this walk because this walk is really my life. It's what's happening in between the spaces. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Beautifully said. Love it. Next question. Your parents, especially your mom, often shut off their emotions. So have you done this as well? And what do you see as the danger of leaders shutting off their emotions? Oh, wow. It's interesting because just before we got on, we were talking about that I had a challenging day and it it actually had to do with my mother. Yes, I I did shut off my emotions and it's taken me a good part of my life to be able to have conversations like this and to be vulnerable and say, I'm not perfect or I'm scared a long time to get there a long time to stretch into that space, to get out of settling into where I want to be. And so I do think that it is inherent when, when our parents are shut off and we're not taught how to be emotional, that that happens. And I think that it's impossible to really be a great leader. If you're shut off from your emotions at the end of the day, unless you're really able to see another person and feel another person, you can't guide them anywhere. And so it is critical, a critical part of us as leaders, as great women to release the part of us that is protecting ourselves. Cause that's literally what it is. I mean, that's what it is for my mother. That's all it is. It's just, it's fear. It's all fear. It's she's afraid. She's afraid of saying I'm afraid. She's afraid of, of stretching to the other place. And my mother's 80 now. So that's a long time. Yeah. Where my mom has kind of lived with being settled. She's a good life, but by no stretch is it great. If you asked her if she was on this on this call with us right now, she might say she's at a six. Yeah. And she'd like to be at a 10, but her fear won't let her get there. You know, it's interesting. I think she would like to be at a 10, but you're right. Yes, what you said is exactly right. Her fear, but her fear is so profound that it's like this big thick fog above her that she can't even strip it away to see a 10. I don't think that part that we were talking about earlier, I don't even know that she can really see herself being a 10. And maybe even doesn't know what a 10 looks like. Right. That resignation totally doesn't know what it looks like. And that resignation will just leave you in that safe space. Right. That's another huge value in working with coaches and having mentors and having close friends that stretch you and that are able to see you and and push you forward. Because we do get in these spaces where human, it can be scary to stretch. I do think that it has taken a lot out of me and uh, to really put myself forward. And it has not been easy and it's not been something that happened overnight, but I don't think you can be a great leader. And for me, I wanted to be a great leader. And so I had to go there. You know, it's interesting. I I can resonate with so much of what you're saying, because for me, I have always been a very private, very guarded person. Well, I wouldn't let myself get emotional about anything. And as I have found my own way through the journey of life, I have found that in that place of being willing to recognize your emotions and deal with them in a healthy way, there is a joy in that. And there is a value that comes that it's hard to explain. And it doesn't kill you. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) Surprise. Surprise. And I know that and you you laugh a whole lot more in that space, (laughs) don't we now? (laughs) Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. We sure do. So going to go to the parent side for a second, not to your parents, but to you as a parent. Because when you were raising children, 
you chose to always have a side gig going that made money. And the question I want to find out is, is the answer to is how did you find the right gig and how can others mothers balance making money while raising children? Mm, Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think that part of it has to do with, again, what we've been talking about with that cloud. You don't even know what a 10 looks like. You don't even know what your possibilities look like. And so you need to be open. You need to be open to calling friends and asking them and finding out what opportunities there are, going on the internet, making phone calls, thinking, spending time writing down things that you enjoy, things you'd want to do. I mean, some women have to work. At the time when I had my daughter uh, 19 years ago, she's actually 19 in three days, we would have been fine without me working. But I needed that. I needed something more. And I always wanted to participate on that side of the world as well. And I think the way you find it is by being open that it's there. And I think for me, I am a curious person. I'm always asking questions. I'm always looking I'm always seeking. And I think when you're like that, you will find opportunities. And there are so many of them. And there are so many where if you draw a line in the sand, for me, one of the lines in the sand was, I am not going to be corporate person that needs to go to a nine to five every morning. Now, I have had years in my life where I've had positions where I've worked for other people and I needed to show up. I did work corporate for several years but I kept some independence in, in the way that I was uh, designated. I kept kind of an independent status. And I feel like you can have that flexibility if you make that one of the one of the guidelines that you need to have. So I need to have my kids are a priority. I want to have access to being available for them no matter what, at all times. What kind of jobs can I do? So you have to put that line in the sand, not oh, well, I need a job. So I have to go and get this nine to five and I have to give my kid in childcare. You don't have to do that, but you need to give yourself, you need to set yourself up in a way where this is the priority. And now from here, I'm going to work. I'm going to look, I'm going to open up my eyes and be curious. And for those of you listening, if you're wondering what her side gig was, it was selling shoes, which is something that most people would never think would be you know, a very great way to make money, but you did extremely well with it. Extremely well. Surprising. (laughs) Yeah. Working part-time, taking my kids wherever I wanted, building a company uh, worked very well. They were baby shoes and it was really a gift. It was really um, a lot of fun and, and it suited me, right? Because it complemented where I was at in my life, which was that I was bringing in these babies into the world and they were very important to me. And so much so that, I mean, I know that not every woman can be in the situation where they have the options that I did. I mean, I had the choice to work. I had the opportunities to explore. And I know sometimes things are rougher, but I think if you can adopt a mindset that you can have that too, then more more possibilities will open up. Yeah. And you might be amazed at what you see, might you? Yeah, because I don't think I don't think that where I came from was anything spectacular to say the least. Right. And I was able to step forth. And I think it was always also in my mind. It, it got to be where what happens also is that once you start adopting, I'm gonna make this work, I'm gonna make this work, I'm gonna make this work on my own terms, whatever. I mean, it may not look exactly the way you want, but once you keep telling yourself that and you get some wins. 
you start to expect it. It becomes the new norm. Yeah, it certainly does. You're exactly right. So now I'm going to move into the leadership space. We've been all over the place in this interview, but you have so many places that I want to get this gold from. So you stated that the role of leaders is not to be the maintenance person. And I know that you're not talking about the maintenance guy sweeping the floor, but you're talking about the one that is the maintainer in the business. Can you explain a little bit more about what you mean by they should not be this maintainer or this maintenance person? Yes, yeah, absolutely. So I think if you're running your own business, you need to be able to be the vision leader and be able to delegate out. And there's a wonderful book that I love, The E-Myth, that I always, I just recommend it always for entrepreneurs that are starting out because I literally read that book and I was I was just screaming, yes, 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 because I had made all those mistakes. I had done all those things and I still sometimes have a hard time getting out of it. And uh, I think that we need to, there's that old saying, you know, working on your business versus working in your business. And I just think as a leader, as a visionary, you need to look at the value you're bringing and figure out if you're doing a $10 to $15, well, we don't have $10 tasks anymore because that's not the minimum wage. But if you're doing a $15 plus task, then you need to decide, does it make more sense for me to delegate that? Or does it make sense for me to be doing this? Because you will get stuck in your business doing $15 tasks and you're not going to make a lot of money that way. And so uh, that's what I mean when I when I say uh, that the leadership leader needs to be looking at the big vision and getting out of the way as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. And I think that is such good advice and something for all those listening, uh, entrepreneurs as well as uh, corporate leaders, because they both can get caught in that trap, can't they? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and corporate, they call it micromanagement. I guess they could call it the same thing in the, the entrepreneur space as well. Or I've seen in the entrepreneur space, I've seen being so guilty that people leave corporate to start their own business and they just trade jobs. They really don't have a business. because <laughs> so, so that's another thing where they become the, the, you know, the maintainer Absolutely. as opposed to the, the visionary for sure. So Tamara, is there anything about your journey to greatness that we haven't covered that you'd like to share with other women? Oh gosh, we've really touched on quite a bit. One of the things that I think we've, we have touched on it, but I think that it's worth bringing up again, it's just that life is just an evolving door and it just we just keep going and we keep moving. And I think as long as you're in a track and you have a vision and you're working towards something and you are embracing every day as best you can, I think that you can hold your head up high and enjoy every single moment that you have, regardless of where you're at. And so I just can't say that enough. It's something I need to tell myself a lot because I'm super ambitious and I always have another mountain that I'm climbing and that's just how I roll. So it's just really important, I think, to remember that we're constantly evolving and to love yourself in every stage. Now, that advocate. What brilliant words to close out what's been uh, an enlightening interview for sure. Thank you so much, Tamara, for coming and being so generous with all your wisdom. You have so much in so many different areas. You can tell we bounced all over the place, but I had so much I wanted to glean from you. It's been an honor. Thank you so much. So Tamara is another great example of how women are challenging the norm, making things happen and demanding their own greatness. So join me next time on the World's Greatest Women Show as another powerful woman story unfolds. 